So about three weeks in to my first professional job, I was working for a guy named Steve and he sat me down in his office and was, you know, one of my early mentors. And he told me the story about how to prioritize things to do that were coming up in our jobs. And he's told a story like this. He's like, there's three kinds of tasks. There's alligators, barking dogs, and bunny rabbits. And I remember sitting there as, you know, a person in my early, early 20s looking at this guy thinking, what are you talking about? And he said, let me unpack this for you. He's like, alligators are dangerous. He's like, if you don't take care of them immediately, they'll get you and you won't even see them coming. Barking dogs, they're noisy. There can be a few of them, but as long as you manage the barking dogs, you're okay. And he's like, bunny rabbits, however, cute, cuddly. You think they're not a problem, but they reproduce really quickly. They can get out of hand. And I was like, okay, thanks. And so he's like, okay, there's more to this. And I'm like, okay, go ahead, Steve, let's finish up. And he said, so the deal is, is you take care of alligators immediately. You manage the dog pound and you deal with enough bunny rabbits to keep the population in check. And that's how you can manage your to-do list. And that story has stuck with me for years and years and years, and I'll never forget that moment. But I think that there's a probably a better way to think about all this in a way that's a little bit more intentional than alligators, barking dogs, and bunny rabbits. And I think that brings us up to a good place to talk about habit three and the seven habits of highly effective people. Welcome to the Overly Human Podcast, where we discuss all things human in the workplace, because it's not just business, it's personal too. Hey, Tracy. Hey, Rob. (laughs) That's a great story because it, well, one, it's like when you think about it, that's what a typical workday can feel like. You know, it's this craziness of just trying to manage the alligators, dogs, and rabbits. Like, you're just on really tough, thick days, as I call them. Sometimes that's how it can feel. And I think one of the great things about this habit is this chapter does a great job at kind of picking apart that process or that way of thinking or that way of just trying to keep our heads above water and gives us a framework that helps alleviate some of this pain and structure the way we look at particularly our weeks so that we aren't in this crazy frantic, you know, trying to fight off the wild animals or control them or keep them from barking, but rather thinking about Uh, the Dwight Eisenhower quote that we were just talking about earlier, which is what is important is seldom urgent and what is urgent is seldom important. And Covey does a great job talking about urgent, not urgent, not important, important. And how do we manage all of that? Yeah. And I think that's pretty key to designing a sustainable life is to think about things with intention and to be able to organize kinds of activities in a way that highlight what is sustainable and good and needs to be done by you as the individual and what you can get help with. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think he, you know, the first two habits that we talked about earlier, previously in our other episodes, you know, were very much about leadership. Like he was trying to get us to really understand that leadership is deciding that you're going to be proactive. It's it's having self-awareness and also then visioning, deciding what these first things are going to be do to, that we're going to do. Like what's important? You know, what do we, what are our priorities? What do we want to get after? What's our vision? And now what he's doing is kind of shifting us into how to execute this. Like this is what he calls management, right? So if leadership is deciding what the first things are, the management is going to be putting them first. It's discipline and carrying these things out. And, you know, just like there's nothing new under the sun. So he gets this whole concept, he says, from a book he he read called Common Denominator of Success. And the guy who wrote that book basically boiled down that successful people put first things first. Successful people are disciplined and do things even if they dislike doing them because they know they're important and and they're going to get the ball down the field faster and more effectively and efficiently. And that's hard. There's a lot of things I don't like to do. Like, like you and I are just talking about how we both have to give presentations later this week. And it's like, you know, we know it's important and we know we need to do it, but it takes a lot of discipline. And to put that first above some of the things that can distract us or suck us into the daily whirlwind. Like, how do we manage ourselves better? Yeah. And it's, it's such an interesting thing because... Like, I feel like there's so many different inputs from society and culture that there is this idea of motivation and motivation is important to get things done. And motivation comes and goes and is a fleeting feeling and has takes nothing about the intention or the results in mind when we're motivated, right? Mm -hmm. But this idea of discipline, however, is doing the things we know we need to do to achieve the end we had in mind. And I think that is why this habit builds on the previous one, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can't possibly know what we're chasing and have the, you know, the ability to do those hard things, things we don't feel like, things we're not motivated to do unless we know where we're going and why we're going there. So it's an idea of starting with the end in mind and having those principles that we're going to make decisions on. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the framework that he uses, it's a time management matrix is what he calls it. And maybe we can put this on our website, but if you want to look at it right now, if you're a place where you can look at it, that's the best thing to Google, which is time management matrix Covey. And this is, you know, a very key habit. I mean, we're talking about a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, And this is like his framework and formula for being effective. And so there's four quadrants and he wants us to gravitate and spend the majority of our time in quadrant two, which is working on things that are important, but not urgent. And I thought that that was really, you know, a great way of looking at it because we tend to want to do the things that are important and urgent or the things that are urgent and not important. Like we we tend to reside in the urgency. 
Um, and like the urgent things that are important are kind of the crises and the, the pressing problems and the deadline, you know, driven projects versus the things that are not urgent and important, which he says are quality time. Like these are the things where we're, we're doing relationship building, we're doing strategic planning, we're recognizing new opportunities. So we're being innovative. We are thinking about improvements for our team or our processes. They're preventative um, processes and preventative ways of thinking. And they should be a place where somebody who prioritizes being effective resides. And I thought that that was really interesting. And he said the only way that we can achieve that is by scheduling that time. We're, we're not going to achieve that quality time unless we schedule it. Otherwise, we are going to get sucked into, you know, quadrant one, which is basically, you know, kind of that firefighter mode that we all are very, very familiar with. Or we're going to reside in the not important, you know, the where we're wasting time or we're distracted or we're, we're not delegating the things that we should be delegating or deleting the things that we need to delete. And we need to shift from, you know, being, you know, in this whirlwind, which is a great concept that's introduced in the book. If you haven't read 40X, The Four Disciplines of Execution, it's kind of a companion book to this, but it's all about execution and how... You can have strategy all day, but if you're not executing it, what's the difference? And Chris McChesney and, um, you know, the people at Franklin Covey wrote this book and it's, it's really talks a lot about how we get sucked up in this whirlwind and we're not able to execute well. And so that all of our, you know, hopes and dreams and visions and missions are just kind of like ideas. They're, they don't come to fruition. And so I feel like this habit is all about execution, learning to say no to certain things and yes to others and executing well. Yeah. And I think it, I'll take it one step further is if you constantly are focusing on only the urgent, then you are not in the driver's seat of what gets done because the urgent only comes from other people telling you what's important in you doing that. If you want to live with intention and achieve what you're after, you have to focus on the important. And that urgent stuff feels good because somebody else is telling you what to do. They're counting, they're asking for it. You're saying yes, you're getting it done. But that is a way to not make progress towards that end because that urgent is the external factors dictating where you're going. Yeah. And do you think that sometimes we feel like we're supposed to reside there? Because it really does feed into like this problem solving mentality. Like we're supposed to be solving problems all day. And if we're solving problems, then we must be really effective and, and valued. But I'm not sure that's really the answer. You know, we're talking about being more opportunity driven, more preventative in our way of thinking. I, I think that it does. It feels good. <clears throat> There's the, you know, the hit, the oxytocin hit when I do get something done and I do something for somebody else. And I think that there are certain roles inside our organizations that probably live more in the urgent firefighting mode from a professional sense. And there's people that need to be there, right? That need to be dealing with things as they come up and being responsive, right? But I think as leaders and especially as leaders who are helping set the direction of our organizations, we have to step out of the urgent 
to make room to set the path for where everybody else is going because somebody has to do that. Somebody has to be able to say, this is the bearing we're going down. I've spent some time. We've spent some time discussing doing things where somebody else isn't telling us we're looking where we want to be and where we want to go. The Overly Human Podcast is brought to you by Navigate the Journey. Navigate the Journey comes alongside entrepreneurial companies, allowing them to get what they want from their business, their team, and their leaders. Learn more at navigatethejourney.com. I think one of the hardest things about rereading this chapter, it made me think about my own life and how I make mistakes in this area that, you know, especially like a working mom and, you know, all the things that are on my plate. And I really started to like examine, like, why do I feel like I I don't have enough hours in the day? Why do I feel like I'm not successful at this? And I don't think I'm wasting time and I don't think I'm constantly distracted. But then it dawned on me, like the more I thought about it, it's this whole ability to learn to say no that he talks about mm-hmm. in this chapter. It's this, we can fill our lives with rather important things, you know, and saying yes to things because we feel like we should, or, you know, he has a great example in the book about his wife saying yes to serving on a board. And that's a hard thing because you feel like, oh, I want to make a difference and I should be volunteering my time. And, and there are phases of our lives where we should be leaning into that. But then there are phases of our lives where we need to say no to certain things, even the things we really want to do and we know are going to be enjoyable, but it's just not the right time. Like we just don't have enough time and we need to be focusing on different phases for different times. And I think that if I were to look at my life as a whole, especially my working career, that's one thing looking back, I can see that there are certain times of my life, especially when my kids were younger, um, where I had to say no a lot. But if I didn't, I burnt out, like just sheer exhaustion, illness, all of that stuff. And now that my kids are older, I can find that I have a little bit more capacity or I could say things because they're, they don't need me in the same way they needed me when I was young. Um, and I think that that's a real breakthrough concept to, to just say, look, you know, here's your life as a whole. There's going to be phases. It's going to ebb and flow. But if you can learn the art of saying no to the right things and yes to the right things, you're not going to feel like you're going to topple over. And you're not going to, this matrix will work for you if you're doing that. It's not going to work if you've overcommitted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll take it one step further and say the more successful you become professionally, the more you will have to say no. There is an infinite amount of good things in the world that we could use our time for that objectively may line up with our values, may be good things we want to see in the world, but we can't do them all. And I think that the best way that I like to talk about this is everything that I say yes to, there are hundreds of unknowns that I'm implicitly saying no to because I filled that slot. And if I want to leave room for the right opportunities, one that really line up with 
my end in mind, my purpose, my goals, my values, then I've got to be really selective and say no to a whole lot more so that I'm not overburdened if the right perfect opportunity comes along. Yeah. And I'm with you. Like, this is something that I don't learn the hard way. Like, you know, when we were first getting going, this business going, like, you know, it was really easy to say yes to everything. I could. I had the capacity to say yes to everything. And I got in that habit of saying yes, yes, yes. And I ended up in a place where I wasn't doing most of them real well anymore. And I had to start becoming, you know, pretty, pretty, art, you know, saying no first, right? And that's one of the things that I, like, if I get asked to do something, my I have to start in a place of no instead of yes, and then convince myself, convince myself by going through all the things to get to a yes. And I think that's probably the right place to start. And I realize that sounds pretty selfish, but like so much of the things we're talking about being effective is making sure that we leave capacity for where it's important where it needs to be so that people get what they need. And I think you just hit on like what the key ingredient is, which we talked about in the first two habits. If you don't have that filter, if you don't have that sort of, well, personally, which is, you know, what I do most days and helping people have a personal strategic plan is like, if you don't have a personal mission and vision and values for your life, And if your company and team doesn't have a mission, vision, and values, then there's no filter. So you can, you, you won't have this sort of litmus test for saying yes or no. And what you just described is, you know, saying no first and convincing yourself of the yes, it goes through that filter. Okay. Does this align with our mission and vision and values? If it doesn't, then no matter how fun it sounds or how shiny it looks or how, how good you know it might feel to do, it doesn't align with what I really have outlined as where I want to go and how I want to get there. So I'm going to have to say no for now. And that's the filter. That's the key. And that's leadership. And so leadership has to, leading our lives, leading our teams, leading our companies, that has to proceed the execution, the deciding what we're going to put first. And so if you don't have that filter, I mean, maybe you should just like hit pause on the podcast right now and like figure that out first, because this is going to be really, really, really hard to live out. And there is a part where he talks about, you know, unless you've identified your priorities deeply into your heart and like unless you've been, you know, transformed by those things, this is you're not going to live this out. You're not going to be disciplined. You're you may for like a week or two, but then it's going to fall by the way, wayside. Like you really have to like own this, like, you know, in, embed it in your soul and and commit to your mission, vision and values if you want this to stick. Otherwise, it's just kind of like one of those good ideas you can try and it's probably not going to last. So there's a there's a method to this madness and and until we until our mission and vision and values take root personally in our hearts and then for our teammates, like until we, and this is, you know, we talk about this all the time with leadership, that the reason why we're communicating things seven times, the reason why leaders, when they get up in front of their teams, need to be enthusiastic and own this first, you know, before they can get their entire team on board is because transformation has to happen 
for us as a company and for us as a team in order for us to scale, in order for us to, because this is all about scaling. Like if we can get our teams into a place where they are really working in quality time, where they're really working on the important, not urgent, they're minimizing the firefighting and they're really, you know, really tackling their days in efficient and effective ways, we are going to be able to scale our company. Otherwise, we're not. We're just going to live in the whirlwind and we're just not going to be able to scale. Enjoying the Overly Human podcast? Never miss another episode by subscribing and following us on Twitter at Overly underscore human. Yeah. And I think that like on this particular one, people need a lot of coaching, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is one that I find myself repeating time after time after time with our employees is because, and I, you know, same kind of thing. There is an infinite number of good things Sparkbox can be involved with and they will show up, but you have to be willing to do this over a whole bunch of others. And I see this a lot with especially younger employees who get really excited about having an opportunity. And I'm always like, you can say no. Like I want, I make it a point to give them the express permission to say no and to tell them reasons they may do so. And it's not because of the quality of the opportunity or that this would be a good thing because both those things can be true and we can still say no. But they really struggle with that concept, especially if it's something that like, oh, this could be interesting or I've not had this opportunity yet. And it's like, be careful, make a good judgment here. And if you do decide to say yes, I would encourage you to time box your yes to say, I will be involved with this volunteer opportunity, this other good thing we're going to see in the industry, whatever, for six months. And make sure you say it that way because you don't know where you're going to be in six months. You don't know exactly what it's going to be like, what the time commitment is. Give yourself an out. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, some of the cool tools that he talks about uh, towards the end of the chapter, I think can help in training our teams, like you're talking about, really giving them a framework. And he talks about, you know, looking at your entire week. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of a a two-step process. Like first he has identifying all the key roles in your life, like writing down, you know, for me, it's, you know, running my company and what my roles are within that company. And then, you know, being a mom and then being a wife and being a daughter and being a sister, you know, like writing down your roles and then identifying, you know, some key results you want to achieve for each of those roles and planning, setting time aside for these goals. And, you know, I think that's interesting in sort of painting a big picture and sort of saying, okay, what, what is it that I need to achieve? What are the goals that I want to get to? And writing things down will make them more likely to happen. And then looking at our entire week, which is something I'm, you know, really in the habit of doing on a Monday is like sitting down for 30 minutes and saying, okay, what is it going to take for me to kind of win the week this week? What are the Mm -hmm. the things that I need to get done? And for me, you know, the kind of way I, I look at it and the way I've created it for myself is I try 
to have like the the little to-do list, which is, you know, kind of like the not important but kind of urgent list that I just need to get through, like setting up a dentist appointment for my kids or something like that. But this is different. This is a list of the things I need to do to achieve my goals. And that's the quality time quadrant two that we're talking about. And if we can get in the habit of every Monday or Sunday night or whatever, sitting down for 30 minutes and writing out our quadrant two goals for the week, the things that are going to to help us move the needle closer to our mission and vision and, and make it a doable list, something that you can get done that week. And you know, it's a different way of thinking than your normal everyday to-do list that you're going to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that's just sort of a helpful framework to teach our teams as well. And, you know, we do that with strategic planning and thinking about, you know, kind of the rocks and the goals and the things that you need to get accomplished that are above and beyond, like the big picture items that are above and beyond sort of like project work and, and kind of those to-do lists. But when we can give our team that type of guidance and tell them it's okay to spend time in this quadrant too, because I think sometimes they need to hear it's okay. Like it's like, I want you to, to reside in this for some of your week that gives them purpose and it gives them ownership and it gives them a little more kick in their step to get out of bed in the morning and come to work because it's really hard and soul sucking to spend all of your time in the other three quadrants. But if you're you're pushing your team, you're actually saying, no, no, I really want you to spend time in this quadrant to be innovative, to build relationships, to think about new opportunities, to to, you know, to collaborate and innovate and, you know, work on improvements on the whole in the big picture. That to them is purpose. That to them is exciting. And that's one of the most important things I think we can do in our business when helping mentor and coach new leaders is especially if somebody has moved up from the individual contributor role into a leadership role is to stress that a part of your job Mm. is now strategic rather than tactical. It's thinking about where we're going and doing that work instead of the doing. And I need you as a leader to get out of the mode of you can do it better than anyone on your team. Now, that may be true for the short term, but that won't be true for long. And as your attention gets divided, you that will stop being true. And if you have to allow some percentage of your time to work on those strategic things, those quadrant two things, and that's that's been something that I found that I have to continually remind those people that I've given leadership roles to or, you know, um, oversight roles to is like, you're, you're, I'm no longer paying you and compensating you to do all the things I'm compensating you to help us make sure things are going well in the long term. And then we're making the right decisions today that keep things from becoming urgent and important tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Because when those pop up, everything stops and we all have to jump on them. Those are the, the live grenades as we like to call them where, you know, your job as a leader is to be the first body on it, mm-hmm. jump on it. Right. Mm-hmm. And let's prevent those. And we do that by focusing on that second quadrant of thinking about what's important direction before those things become urgent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really hard thing for a new somebody moving into a leadership role, like a new leader in your company is 
letting go of the reins of some things and delegating, it's scary. Mm -hmm. It's scary to them to trust somebody else to carry out that task because they really don't want it to fail. And they, and you know, it's telling people like, look, you need to trust the person to carry it out. They might not do it the exact way you did it, but that's okay. You know, like we, we don't need to think our way is, is the only way or the perfect way. And plus, how are we growing up future leaders if we don't entrust them? But it is the hardest thing, like letting go, delegating. But there's a reason why that popular phrase, the best leaders are the best delegators. It's true because it's not just that they can delegate tasks. It's that they trust the people that work with them to delegate the task. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded of this quote that I have fallen in love with, which is, you can either try to control things or you can trust people. Mm -hmm. There is no middle ground. Right. And I think that like so much of this, especially when we're, um, you know, leading leaders is leading that by example, right. Is the things we say and the things that we do is they're going to model some of that behavior after their leader, their manager, and I think that we have to start with that. And that gets back into this whole goal setting stuff that we talk about and what good delegation looks like. And, you know, um, he goes into a lot of that. Stephen Covey goes in a ton of what, you know, what delegation looks like, the difference between a gopher delegation, which is go do this, go do that, go do that. And stewardship, which is giving you ownership over something as well as the implementation and how to set those goals for results, guidelines, resources, accountability, and consequences and defining all of those. But so much of that is internalizing that as leaders first so that people can see that in us and then they will turn around and see that in others. Yeah. And realize, I mean, what a freeing thing, you know, to to be able to let go of some of these things. And I, I love the concept of stewardship because that whole idea of I'm going to give you responsibility and authority, it really helps our team to feel valued. And that mm-hmm. is one of the number one things that people want today. They want to feel yeah. valued. We all as humans want to feel valued in all aspects of our lives. So th- this is a win-win, you know, this is an all around win for leaders if they can you know again adopt and be transformed by these principles and live them out and it's good for them and it's good for the future leaders of your company yeah all right tracy what's your takeaway for this week my takeaway is going back to that you know 30 minutes plan your week just try it try to sit down sunday night or monday morning for, and put it in your calendar. That's the other thing. You have to literally schedule it for 30 minutes. And that's all you put in the block. Schedule your week. And sit down and think about all the things in quadrant two that you can do just that week that are doable. Write them down and set that as your goal for the week. And then go back on Friday and see if you did it you are going to see, I guarantee, the needle move for yourself. Yeah, I like that. Um, My takeaway for this week is I would encourage everyone, if you're not already, to start with no. 
Mm. Start with no. Like, you don't have to even say it out loud first. I would say give yourself time to consider when being asked about doing something new that's going to require some time commitment, right? Start, but in your brain, start with no and work towards yes if it lines up. I've never been given an opportunity where I've had to make a decision right then and there. And I think it's always appropriate to say, that sounds like a great opportunity. If you'll allow me a little couple days to consider it so that I can make sure that I'm fully in before committing. I've never had a problem where somebody has said, well, no, I need to know right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then work towards yes. If you get to yes and it's okay, I promise it's okay to stay at no. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Good tips today. Another good one. All right. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. The Overly Human Podcast is brought to you by Navigate the Journey and Sparkbox. For more information on this podcast or to get in touch with Tracy or Rob, go to OverlyHuman.com. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and tell your friends to listen. Thanks.